Thank you. I appreciate so much that warm welcome. Mount Horeb is good at warm welcomes. At the 9 o'clock service, Jeff made the mistake of telling them to surprise me with a warm welcome. And I commented, you know, it is hard to surprise someone who's sitting backstage listening to every word. Uh, but Jeff is from Kentucky, and so we have to make allowance for that. But um, this time around, he did not set me up again for that joke, but you're still laughing, so that's good, you know? Uh, he learned his lesson and did not give me any fodder for jokes this time around, but that's never stopped me before. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this morning and for the holy privilege of coming into your house and worshiping you. We pray, O oh God, that your Holy Spirit might be poured into our hearts, that our hearts and minds might be supple and open before you, receptive to whatever you would speak, such that we might go forth from this place more fully yours than we were when we came in. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Jeff already said, my mom is sitting on the front row uh, with us this morning. And um, when she told me she was coming, I said, well, mom, you know, fair warning, my sermon is already written and you're the opening illustration. Uh, I hate to break that to you, but I felt like I should let you know. You know, everybody wants their son to go into ministry until they realize that that means that your family and everything you say or do might wind up in a sermon someday. So just bear that in mind if you, you mothers are praying for your children to go into ministry. You know, you gotta take the good with the bad. But my mom is a kindergarten teacher, and she sort of embodies all the stereotypes of that role. Even now, mom's been retired for a couple of years, and she still goes to like the Little League baseball games and football games for the students that were in her class like five or six years ago because she thinks they're so cute. You know, she loves children. Believe it or not, the state of South Carolina actually paid her to be a kindergarten teacher. She would have been glad, I'm sure, to do it for free. But my mom loves silly songs and loves children and all of those types of things. Uh, and most importantly, she sometimes talks to you as if you were a preschooler. That's, that's how you know you're really dealing with a quintessential kindergarten teacher when they talk to you as if you too were a kindergartner, especially with myself, my brother, and I. My mom is probably the least judgmental person that's ever been born. Uh, no matter what somebody does, the harshest judgment that I think my mom would ever pass would be, well, he shouldn't have done that, but everybody deserves a second chance. My brother is in law school now, and he and I were joking recently, what would happen if mom was a defense attorney? You know, can you get a load of this? She'd be defending a murderer. Well, he looks innocent to me, you know. Uh, as you might imagine, when we were growing up, uh, the first verse in this morning's passage was one of my mother's very favorite verses in the entire Bible. If I ever said anything negative about anyone, uh, she would give me that disappointed look, you know. Well, Bubba. And yes, that is what she calls me. I know you're wondering. Everybody always asks, is that really what she calls you? Yes. Well, Bubba, judge not, lest ye be judged. And I roll my eyes. Well, Bubba, I don't think that's very nice. I want you to be nice, Bubba. You know, she still sometimes does that. You know, it's one thing for me to poke a little fun about my mom not being judgmental and quoting this verse. But you know what's not funny? Is that this passage has been so misinterpreted and so taken out of context over the years that Christians now are afraid to say anything is a sin. Uh, sin has become a four-letter word. Some of you get that later. Uh, you know, we, we've become to the point where we're afraid to take a moral stance, which is very unfortunate because oftentimes it is precisely our Christian duty to take a moral stance. And nothing shuts down conversation faster than when you try to do that and the politically correct people in the room will say, well, judge not lest you be judged. Who are you to judge me? 
Don't be judgmental. You know Jesus would never judge anyone. You know, it amazes me how people who have never read very much of the Bible and maybe are not real plugged into the church just kind of take whatever's popular in culture, you know, whatever's trendy and whatever they think God should be like and kind of project that onto Jesus and assume that Jesus must be whatever they think he should be. Uh, their Jesus is very cultural. Their Jesus is very, you know, sort of personal, not like a personal relationship, but personal in the sense that they've constructed their own, uh, rather than being very biblical and, and orthodox and so forth. Uh, but, you know, we're told Jesus never said a harsh thing about anyone. Jesus was just kind of flaky and flighty and, you know, was so nice and wonderful. And, you know, it's the church that has taught us to be judgmental, the church, you know. It never ceases to amaze me how people can do that, and they'll take passages like this one and almost weaponize them uh, to use them against Christians. You know, if you say anything that's not politically correct, anything that maybe touches on a hot-button issue, anything that could even be perceived as negative, people will quote this out of context, you know, judge not... <coughs> lest you be judged. And that's not funny. That's not a good thing. That's a serious issue right now in our culture. Of course, there's a lot of uh, examples we could use uh, how the Bible is mis misapplied and misinterpreted, but this, for our purposes this morning, this clearly is uh, a great example of that, a major, major problem in our society today. So I want to talk with you a minute about what Jesus could not have meant. <laughs> and the first thing is, Jesus could not have meant that we're never supposed to say anything negative about anyone. There's no way that he meant that because he himself said negative things about people. In fact, uh, that's why we read through verse 6, even though I'm not going to be referring to verse 6 a whole lot today. But in verse 1, you know, judge not lest you be judged and so forth. But then in verse 6, at the conclusion of this very passage, we find Jesus say, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't give what is holy to dogs, right? Jesus compares and contrasts those who reject the gospel, those who are hostile to the apostles, to dogs and swine. Not exactly a nice compliment, right? Not exactly a politically correct thing to say about people. We all know, of course, that Jesus had many harsh things to say to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus cleared the temple. Jesus praises John the Baptist as the greatest among those born of women. And John the Baptist preached what? Again, repent. You know, he tells the Pharisees, who warned you, you brood of vipers? Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Not exactly. Uh, John the Baptist was not the kind of guy in your high school that would have won most popular. You know what I mean? Uh, and Jesus yet says that he is the greatest among those born of women. So Jesus could not have meant that you never say anything negative about anyone. Jesus could not have possibly meant that you never take a moral stance on any issue or that it's inherently judgmental or wrong to do that. One of the commentators that I looked at, I love how he put it, he said, Jesus did not here prohibit what he commands and exemplifies elsewhere. Jesus did not here prohibit what he commands and exemplifies elsewhere. That's why we say uh, in interpreting the Bible, context is king. If you don't remember anything else I say this morning, I want you to remember that basic rule of thumb. Whenever you're studying the Bible, context is king. You never take one verse or even a passage out of the whole Bible and just rip it out of context. And, you know, it's easy to twist it and turn it and make it say what you want when you do that, right? So context is king. We always have to take the context of a verse and the passage of the chapter, the book, the broader Bible, and so forth in order for us to really understand what it means. Most biblical misinterpretation, most cults, happen precisely for that reason. It's because, you know, we take one verse or one passage in isolation. Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers of all time, had a fabulous quote about this. He said, oh, that we would take precepts as far as they go 
and no farther. Oh, that we would take precepts as far as they go and no farther. But we struggle with that, don't we? We want to take it out of context and think of it as an absolute. Okay, so Jesus could not have possibly meant that we could never take a moral stance or that we could never say anything negative because he himself did that, and we've got to be careful about how we interpret the Bible. Well, what did Jesus mean? That's a question, obviously, we've got to be asking ourselves this morning, right? What attitude is it that Jesus is cautioning us against, preaching against in this passage? And the answer, of course, is that harsh a hypercritical, hypocritical, judgmental, mean-spirited uh, type of view of other people. That's what Jesus is directly addressing. Now, this morning, I want to talk about both the direct application of this passage to those who are who struggle with being judgmental, and I also want to talk about sort of the indirect backdoor application of this passage uh, from those who misinterpret it, which is why I started out talking about that, because... Uh, what we fall into is saying, even in the church, right, uh, if I spot sin in somebody's life and I hold them accountable for that, we fall into saying, oh, that's judgmental. Don't be judgmental, right? And that's a serious issue because we've got, if we're going to be mature disciples, we've got to learn to know the difference and to be able to distinguish between healthy rebuke and accountability and reproof, Right? That's what we're supposed to be doing in the church. <laughs> We've got to learn to know the difference between that and the judgmental spirit that Jesus is cautioning against. They're not the same thing. And so I want to spend some time this morning unpacking this because it's a big issue uh, in our lives as Christians and a big issue in our culture today because so many people misinterpret and misunderstand uh, these concepts. Um, a few weeks ago, Trevor preached in here, if you remember, and he commented about the fact that in his life, one of the key things that has helped him grow and get where he is in his Christian journey is precisely this, uh, that he's had people that loved him enough to speak truth into his life, to speak the truth in love, not to tear him down, not to criticize him, but to hold him accountable, to hold his feet to the fire and to help him to grow, right? That's a good and holy thing. That's not contrary to what Jesus would have us do or be about. That's not judgmental. That is healthy, authentic Christian reproof and accountability. And you know, every week we critique the sermons and I gave Trevor that feedback. I said, you know, that really resonated with me because I think about my own journey. Uh, one of the great blessings that God has brought into my life were some men who were very godly, very wise, very mature, who could speak the truth unto me. You know, if I had a question or if I was struggling with something, I could go to them and I could talk with them and I took what they taught me and applied it and it's helped me to grow. Right, And as I think about, I've been in ministry for, I don't know, half my life now, so however long that is. And as I think about those who have grown and who have made a difference for God and those who haven't, that's one of the key issues. The ones who grow and who really make a difference and who are still growing are the ones who invite accountability into their life. And the ones who don't are the ones who, every time you try to hold them accountable, every time you try to reprove them for something, it's judge not lest you be judged. Right? And we use this. Uh, these types of passages taken out of context as a weapon to kind of protect ourselves and not have to deal with our own issues. You know, we've been talking a lot in this series about a house, right? We've been drawing a lot of comparisons in this Fixer Upper series to your house. So if your house had a leaky faucet or a leaky pipe, would you want to fix it? If you've got any sense, you would, right? Because you know if you don't fix it, it's not going to get better. <laughs> Trust me, I know. <laughs> I've tried that approach. Maybe it'll get better. No, it won't get better. It will always get worse. There's no magic formula that's going to make that pipe stop leaking, you know? It's always going to get worse, and what started as a small issue is going to become a big issue, right? So if you have any sense and you've invested some money in a house, you want to get that issue fixed. Well, in the same way, if you have any sense 
and you're wanting to grow in the Christian life, you want your issues fixed. You want to be able to say, uh, not just be open to accountability and to guidance, but to seek it out, to pursue it, right? And so we dare not allow the misinterpretation and poor application of passages like this to hold us back in the Christian life. And so I want to unpack for you this morning, how do we know the difference between healthy Christian reproof and accountability and rebuke on the one hand? How do we know the difference between that and the harsh, unchristian, judgmental spirit that Jesus is talking about on the other hand? Because they're not the same thing, and understanding the difference makes a big difference both for our own Christian growth and also for our witness for Jesus Christ, especially in the midst of a politically correct culture. So I want to give you some points to help you understand and unpack the difference here. So a reproof is always offered for the best interest of the other person. A reproof is always offered to further that person in their Christian journey with, with a view towards the health of their soul. A judgment is offered to tear the person down, right? A judgmental person isn't particularly interested in actually removing the speck from your eye. He mostly just wants to point it out because <laughs> he wants to make sure everybody sees your sin, your issue, and, you know, and have fun criticizing you. A, a reproof is always offered with a humble, gentle spirit that truly conveys the sense of, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. There but for the grace of God go I. Whereas a judgment is always offered with a haughty, prideful, arrogant, looking down your nose type of attitude, right? The difference between them is really big. Uh, a few weeks ago in our series, you might remember we preached about forgiveness. And one of the key points in that sermon was that if you're aware of your own sins and how much you've been forgiven, it becomes a lot easier to forgive others. Not that it's ever easy, but it's easier, right? But if you're not in touch with your own sins, if you're not aware of how much God has forgiven you, then it's a lot more difficult to be gracious and forgiving and merciful with the other people, right? Well, that point also applies here. You know, the judgmental person has no self-awareness, right? You ever been around somebody like that? They're hyper aware of how you come off and they're looking for faults, you know, to criticize you about, but they're just oblivious to how they come off. <laughs> they have no self-awareness. They're not aware of their own sin issues. They're so busy focusing on you and on you and on everybody else, right, that they, they, they're not even aware of their hypocrisy <laughs> because they're so unaware of their sin. They, they sort of give off this mentality of, you know, I've got it all together. I'm perfect. I've never committed a single sin in my life. What the heck's wrong with you? You know, you're just lucky I even talked to you, right? Big difference. Big difference between the attitude with which a reproof is conveyed and the attitude with which judgment is conveyed. Uh, a reproof is offered. A judgment is demanded. A reproof is offered. A judgment is, the, the judgmental person is so insecure and so arrogant that there's this sense of like, you will listen to me or else you're obviously wrong. It's instructive, I think, in the Greek in verse 4. Or Jesus says, how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, right? In English, that sounds like it might be a humble request, like, would you please allow me to help you? But in Greek, the term, the verb, let me, is imperative. So what's implied is, let me do this, you know, whether you want me to or not. You're, you know, you're going to let me do this because I'm right, you're wrong, and, you know, let me help you, you know. <laughs> so there's a big difference between a reproof that's offered and the person has, you know, uh, they can choose to receive it and hopefully grow, or they can choose to reject it and, and continue on their way, right? A reproof takes timing into account. A reproof takes timing into account. It's offered at a time when the person is most likely to receive it, because again, it's offered out of concern for their well-being. 
Uh, a judgmental person has about as much sense of a timing as a hand grenade. <laughs> you know, you've always been around those people that are kind of like a loose cannon, and they're harsh and critical, and you just never know what they're going to say. You know, you go to your family reunion, and you're just like, dear God, please don't let Aunt whatever, you know, be on, on her worst behavior today. I can't handle it, you know. Uh, and in the same way, a reproof is offered in privacy, and it's always held in confidence. But a judgment is just thrown out there indiscriminately for whoever happens to be listening, and it leads to what? It leads to gossip, right? So there's a tremendous amount of difference uh, between the attitude with which an authentic Christian reproof and accountability and rebuke is offered and judgment. A, a reproof is offered by somebody that doesn't have a log in their own eye <laughs> to cite Jesus' passage, right? You know, have you ever had that happen where somebody, they want to name the sin in your life and you know that they've got a much more serious issue or the same issue in their own life? A reproof has to be offered. It can't be offered in hypocrisy. It has to be offered by someone who has the moral authority to offer it because they don't have a log in their own eye. To put it in terms of this series, a reproof can only be offered by someone who has their own house in order. <laughs> but judgment is usually offered by the person who doesn't have the moral authority to offer it. Judgment is offered like that guy in your neighborhood who every time that anybody's yard gets a little bit out of control, he complains to the homeowners association, and yet his own yard looks like a jungle. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, there's a certain hypocrisy with a judgmental attitude that you don't find with reproof. Matthew Henry, the great Bible scholar, uh, he said this, just because we should not judge which is a great sin. It does not therefore follow that we must not reprove, which is a great duty and may be the means of saving a soul from death. Just because we should not judge, which is a great sin, it does not therefore follow that we should not reprove, which is a great duty and may be a means of saving a soul from death. And I think that so adequately captures what I'm trying to drive home uh, this morning. Because this, in a sense, is a dangerous kind of passage. You know, it almost justifies the politically correct nature uh, of our society. And quite frankly, the, you know, that has crept into a lot of our churches. I mean, it's because of the misinterpretation of passages like this one that church discipline is almost like a lost art form, right? I mean, we don't, we don't, you know, a lot of churches, we don't hold people accountable anymore. There's just this, we always err on the side of being gracious and gracious and gracious, and you see, and there's room for that, but there is also room in the Bible and certainly in church history for holding people accountable, right? And if you look at the early Christians, they didn't struggle with that. They held each other accountable. If you look at early Methodism, they didn't struggle with that. They held people accountable. And if you look at the church of Jesus Christ around the globe where it's growing and vital and vibrant, one of the things you're going to find is Christian accountability, where they speak truth into each other's lives. Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so it ought to be in the Christian church, right? That we should be holding each other accountable, not in a harsh, hypercritical, judgmental way, but in a way where we care enough about each other to speak truth into each other's life. And so my hope in this message is that we'll no longer use uh, passages like this one as an excuse. <laughs> because, you know, what I find is that depending on who you are and kind of how you roll, this passage applies to you differently. This is one of those passages uh, that you read, and if you're not a very judgmental person, you know, if you tend to be more, you know, more of a nicer, easier-going person, you, you tend to read a passage like this, and you think, well, good, that doesn't apply to me. I can move on, you know. But are you misinterpreting it, right? Are you using this passage as a shield? I find that all too often people will use uh, a passage like this as a shield. They'll hide behind it because they've got somebody in their life, a friend, 
family member, fellow small group member, whatever, that has blatant sin and, you know, God has laid it on their heart to speak into that situation and yet they don't do it because, well, judge not lest you be judged. So that must not be the voice of the Lord, you know, Uh, I'd, I'd rather let them die in their sin and go to hell than ever even run the risk of being perceived as judgmental. Far be that for me. And so we hide behind the poor interpretation of passages like this. And I find that these are the same people who will use uh, passages like this in a shield, as a shield in their own life, right? If you try to hold them accountable, you try to reprove them or rebuke them in any way, shape, or form, it's judge not lest you be judged. Who are you to say that to me? That, that's judgmental. It couldn't possibly be Christian. And so we use it to protect ourselves from our own best interest. I find as a preacher, some people, I may not even be speaking directly to a person, you know, one-on-one, but even in a sermon, there's people that, you know, have that attitude of, well, you know, I can safely dismiss that because we label it as judgmental and we never examine the possibility that there might be some valuable truth in that. And then, of course, on the other end of the spectrum, you have people that are very judgmental, that Jesus is speaking to directly in this morning's passage, right? You have people that are harsh and critical, and unfortunately, I'm sure all of you have, have met them, maybe you work with them, maybe you got them in your family, they're just toxic people, and they're always looking for something to criticize, right? You know, that's one of the things that amazes me. I mean, you know, uh, as a mature Christian, you don't go around thinking, who can I rebuke today, you know? But the harshly critical people, they're always looking for something to criticize, and if they, if they find somebody who's, you know, <laughs> virtually beyond reproach, they'll invent something, they'll find something to criticize, because they, they thrive off of that. That's sense of, you know, I'm better and watch this. And because I know I'm better because I'm going to criticize this person and I've got this area of my life together and they don't. And maybe that's you, or maybe it's the guy sitting next to you or whatever. I don't know. But you know what I find as I've observed and thought about this? Both of those types of people have the same ulterior motive. (laughs) At the end of the day, they're using passages like this one as a defense mechanism, like a skunk uses his spray. (laughs) You know, the judgmental person, you don't want to say anything to them because they might yell at you, right? And so they got to kind of go through life keeping everybody at arm's length, never having to deal with their own stuff because they're so interested in your business, right? Uh, And you don't even want to hold them to account. Well, just don't say anything because, you know, they're just hard to deal with, right? And so they are very harsh and judgmental. And they basically operate as if this passage didn't even exist. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have those who use passages like this, like I said, as a shield. You know, they don't want to be judged. They don't want to judge anybody. They never want to take a stance. They have no accountability in their life. They just kind of do their own thing because, you know, I'm not judgmental, so don't you dare judge me and, you know, and so forth. And I find that the ulterior motive is the same. The way these people are totally different in how they operate and in their personality and how they come off. But I find that all too often the ulterior motive is the same. They don't want anybody in their life. It's just a different way of going about it. The non-judgmental person, well, I, you know, I, I can't dare say anything negative about them. I mean, she's so nice, right? And the harsh person, well, you know, I don't want to deal with them. But either way, they keep everybody at, at, they keep accountability, they keep reproof, they keep rebuke at arm's distance. And they kind of go through life without dealing with our own sin. And you know what's really unfortunate is that most of us don't fit neatly into either of those categories. <laughs> We're kind of tricky, so we keep people guessing, you know. We might be, you know, non-judgmental and nice in general, but then with certain types of people or certain sins, we're real judgmental on that, right? And we kind of fluctuate and go back and forth. I don't know where you are in that this morning. I don't know what sin issues are in your life. I don't know, perhaps, if you've got to put up with somebody who's harsh and judgmental and you're damaged by that. I don't know if you're on the other end of the spectrum and 
uh, always acting like everything's fine and nothing's wrong and so forth. But what I do know is that Jesus is not about distance. <laughs> Jesus is not about allowing us to stay distant from each other or allowing us to stay distant from him. Jesus is about intimacy, and Jesus is about real transformation. That's what we've been talking about in this Fixer Upper series, because the reality of it is we're all Fixer Uppers. <laughs> we're all Fixer Uppers. We all have ways that maybe we interpret the Bible for our own sense of best interest rather than what we ought to be thinking and preaching and, and, and teaching and living. Uh, we all have ways in which we hide our sin. We all have our little subterfuges and masks. And we all have things going on in our life that we need to conquer, that we need to achieve victory over in the name of Jesus, right? We're all fixer-uppers. And so regardless of how we operate or what our personality is or how a text like this, whether it applies to us very directly or whether it applies to us very indirectly, we're all fixer-uppers. And you know the great thing is we are here this morning in the presence of the one who can truly fix us up, Jesus the Nazarene, who has already paid the price for all of our sin all of our mistakes, all of our shortcomings, the one who knows exactly what we're trying to hide, the one who knows uh, how we use our personality to keep people at a distance and so forth. And he really can fix us up and he really wants to fix us up. So with that in mind, I wanna encourage you all, if you would please just to bow your heads and let us go to the Lord in prayer. I know that some of you here uh, have been hiding behind texts like this. The Lord's been placing it on your heart to speak out, to take a stance on moral issues. And you're more concerned about being popular than you are about pleasing him. You're more concerned about being liked than you are about being right. More concerned about being in with the in crowd than you are about giving God glory. And so if that's you, I wanna encourage you now to raise your hand as we pray together that we would no more hide behind passages like this, but that we would be bold and courageous for the Lord not harshly condemning people, not going around looking for things to judge, but being bold and courageous when he calls us to do and when he lays it upon our heart and not hiding behind anything. And there's some of you here this morning who are so non-judgmental that you also, in a different way, hide behind passages like this one where you keep people at bay because you don't want them to speak into your life. And if they do, you just assume that that's judgmental and therefore wrong. And we know now that that's not true, that there is an important distinction between authentic rebuke and reproof and accountability on the one hand and the harsh judgment on the other hand. And so if that's you, if you've been keeping people at bay and keeping your sin a secret and not receiving rebuke and accountability, I would encourage you to raise your hand. You might have two hands up now, but that applies to so many of us, and that's okay. And then I know there are some of you here who struggle with being judgmental in a very direct kind of way, in a way that Jesus was speaking directly into in this morning's passage. You've gone through life as if teachings like this never even existed or never mattered, as if it was a virtue somehow to be judgmental. You've kept people at a distance by being too hard and too distant. And if that's you, I would encourage you also to raise a hand. Lord, you see the hearts and minds of every person here. And you know exactly our brokenness and how that brokenness came into be. And so we just pray, God, that you would bring your healing balm now such that we would be pleasing to you in every nook and cranny of our being, that everything about us would be given over to you, that we'd be totally yours. Lord, that we would pursue victory over our sins each and every day and seek to please you in all that we are and do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.